When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to another Headlines episode over here at Sustainable Minimalists. On Headlines episodes, we cover four news stories with regard to environmental issues, conscious consumerism, and basically anything else that I find interesting. Now, you probably think that I'm going to cover the wildfire smoke and air pollution that has been enveloping large swaths of the United States today. I'm not going to cover that story, actually, because we are inundated with it in the news cycle, aren't we? So instead, today, I chose four news stories that aren't getting nearly as much coverage, but are still really darn important. We're going to do similar to what we did last week. So two news stories, an ad break, and then after the break, two news stories that comprise our feature story. They are indeed related to one another. So let's get into some good news first, and that is with regard to PFAS legislation. State legislators here in the United States are sick and tired of waiting around for federal regulators to do something about the group of chemicals known as PFAS. And so states are taking things into their own hands. Now, just a reminder here, if you missed my really amazing, (laughs) patting myself on the back here, my really informative episode on the group of chemicals called PFAS. Uh, just a quick reminder, when carbon and fluorine fuse together, they create a virtually unbreakable compound. They are per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, hence the PFAS acronym. These chemicals are widely used in thousands of products, food packaging, clothing, carpets, flame retardants, firefighting foam. And again, because these compounds are virtually unbreakable. They're adding up in our bodies, in the environment. And of course, while the effects of long-term PFAS exposure are not yet known, right? Because these are a new group of chemicals. We haven't had them around long enough to study the long-term effects. So we don't know. However, there is mounting evidence that forever chemicals are linked to liver and immune system damage, cancer, infertility. The list of potential human and environmental health dangers is long, long, long. So within the last year alone, 195 new bills were introduced in dozens of state legislatures that seek to require that products sold in these states are PFAS-free. Some states have even set deadlines that require all or most products made or sold in those states to be PFAS-free, with Minnesota being the latest to do so. Good work, Minnesota. 
Now, the federal government is not completely silent on PFAS. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency in March did propose for the first time a rule to set legally enforceable limits nationwide on six of the thousands of forever chemicals. But these regulations would only cover water contamination. And so I wanted to cover this story today because until the EPA and other federal agencies do set stricter PFAS policies, it is on states to do the work, do the heavy lifting. State laws are currently the only recourse and states are getting it done. Now, if you're wondering what the chemical industry has to say about 195 new bills introduced to ban or restrict PFAS legislation, the chemical industry, of course, argues that all this new legislation, it is a gross overreaction and, quote, the majority of PFAS chemicals are safe, end quote. Next up, we're talking about beer. And I wanted to cover beer today because a few weeks ago, if you listened, I covered a story in headlines about eco-conscious wine bottles. They're getting lighter, which means less carbon to transport them all around the world. And so this story is a little nod to the beer drinkers who listen. And it's another optimistic story. So let's talk about beer for a minute. I'm not a beer drinker, but I do know that carbon dioxide is a byproduct of beer. And that's because beer is a fermented product. Fermentation releases carbon dioxide as the yeast breaks down the sugar to create alcohol. Now, at most wineries and breweries, this carbon dioxide is released into the atmosphere as carbon emissions. And yes, it's a negligent number when you compare it to cars, power plants, etc. However, a growing number of craft breweries are starting to collect that gas, which number one, reduces carbon emissions, even if it's just by tiny amounts. And then they're reusing that carbon to give their beer its characteristic white foam. So this is reuse at its finest, isn't it? There's this cool new machine. It was developed by NASA. It is called CC. CC was originally created so that astronauts can breathe on Mars. However, CC also has an unintended amazing use in breweries. It captures the CO2 that flows from the fermenters in the brewery, and then it filters it, condenses it to liquid, and is created into the foam on top of the beer. CC is now used in 70 breweries in 25 states. It's also being used in places in the United Kingdom, Canada, and New Zealand, with at least 20 more breweries waiting for CC to be installed. So we're going to take our break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about two related stories. The first story is about how Arctic ice is very likely going to be gone by 2030. And the second story covers a new study which finds that a ton of places in the United States, major cities are sinking. So put those two stories together and you'll see where I'm going with this. I'll see you in a minute after a quick word from our sponsors. And we're back. Before the break, we covered PFAS regulation and we covered breweries taking a big step towards going zero waste. Now we're on to the more pessimistic part of today's show. I have two not-so-feel-good stories. And the first one covers new peer-reviewed research that found that the first summer on record that melts practically all of the Arctic's floating ice could occur as early as the 2030s, so less than eight years. 
This is a decade sooner than researchers had previously predicted. And the real concerning aspect to this study is that it found the ice will likely melt even if all nations curb greenhouse gases more extensively, more decisively than we're already doing. Earlier projections had found that strong action to curb global warming might be enough to preserve summer ice, but latest research suggests that even steep, sharp emission cuts may not reverse the effects of warming that are already underway. So all the sea ice may very likely melt within the next 10 years. So think about what that means for rising sea levels. And then let's go to story number two, which is the real feature story today. Another recent research study, independent of the one we just talked about, found that land around the United States is sinking and sinking fast. Sinking cities plus rising sea levels can very likely mean trouble for some areas in the United States. And that's really what we're focusing on. We're focusing on the United States, but it goes without saying. It spells trouble for areas around the globe. So imagine the Earth's surface is like a stack of pancakes. It's fluffy, right? It moves. The pancakes are really just layers of rocks and soil. And it may appear evenly stacked, but over time, the stacks get compressed Now, there are hot spots for sinking here in this country, and the study found that areas around the Gulf are particularly susceptible, Houston, New Orleans, Tampa, specific places on the East Coast, primarily New York City and Norfolk, Virginia, and on the West Coast as well, California's Central Valley. Because of excessive groundwater pumping for agriculture, that extracting of water from the land has caused the Central Valley, to sink significantly. Now, I should say, too, this sinking is not all due to human action. However, it's important to make clear the point that many places are sinking faster than global sea levels are rising, which means increased flood risk in coastal cities in the short term. But let's let's take a wider lens. Let's zoom out. The world is already locked in to a predicted sea level rise of one foot, 12 inches by 2050. We're locked in. Not even the sharpest emissions cuts are going to reduce that number. Okay. However, if emissions continue along current trends, sea levels are expected to rise by five feet. Okay. So five feet sea level rise by 2050, perhaps, plus sinking cities. It's estimated that lots of places will lose territory to the ocean. Here in the U.S. in particular, the cities that will likely be most affected are New Orleans and Key West. However, San Francisco, Miami, my city of Boston, Honolulu, Charleston, Long Beach, California, Savannah, Georgia, all will have significant, not just flooding, but area gone. Not so fun fact here as I was researching for this episode when we talk about areas gone to the ocean, both Boston campuses of Harvard and MIT will likely be lost to the ocean. In New York City specifically, it's estimated that Ellis Island and 9-11 Memorial Park will be completely submerged. And then if we zoom out even further and we talk globally, very large metropolitan areas will be affected by 
these two things happening at once, sinking cities plus rising sea levels, Tokyo, Mumbai, Bangkok, Amsterdam, Alexandria, Egypt, the Bahamas could disappear completely. So some things to think about in the short term. I always hate to leave headlines on such a bummy note, but we're doing it today. I will be back on Tuesday where I am speaking with a minimalist about how to get our kids to make hard decisions about their stuff. I really enjoyed this episode, and I hope you too as well. If you have children or grandchildren, make sure you take a listen. I will see you then. Have an amazing weekend, and take care.